glad. I want to thank all of you. I want to thank all of you for your understanding during my time off. It was a much-needed break. Our family got some much-needed rest and relaxation. We fished a lot and caught little, uh, but had a great time. It is a great joy uh, to see the kids play in the water and see the glory of uh, general revelation, seeing God's glory on display. Though we saw mo- a lot of rain the first week and a half of vacation, uh, it was still a great pleasure. I appreciate your patience with me as I was away. I'm very thankful for live stream, though. Uh, we got to study the Word together, though you didn't know it, I was watching with you and enjoying the Word of God. Uh, I'm renewed, and by grace I'm ready to continue the work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so we continue on. Today we get the privilege of finishing the section we started last time in Ephesians chapter 6. So we will be in this, and then we'll turn back to Acts, Lord willing, next week or the week after. All of us want to know how to stand firm in this evil day, don't we? We need to know how to defend and stand firm and resist the evil one during this wicked day that we live in. The passage today clearly explains how we survive and thrive in a world that hates us, that is led by the wicked one, the devil. Briefly, let's review the context of our passage. We know from Ephesians that the first three chapters are who we are in Christ, and then the last three chapters are how we should live in Christ. Thus, doctrinal foundation in the first three chapters, and then the applied doctrine in the last three chapters of Ephesians. There's a crucial point here for us, genuine Christian application without biblical doctrine is actually impossible. You must have doctrine. You must have a right understanding of doctrine in order for you to apply the Bible correctly and to do what it says. At the same time, biblical doctrine demands genuine Christian application. In other words, you can have a head full of knowledge, but that head full of knowledge and understanding of who God is demands that you obey Him and respond appropriately. Knowing what to do is important, beloved. But knowing why we do it is just as important. Knowing those truths work perfect together. I'm convinced the Apostle Paul uses the doctrine laid out in the first three chapters to give the foundation for the way we live revealed in the last three chapters. It was a book that was read all at once to be understood as a whole. When we go through books of the Bible, often we get chopped up and we don't see that big picture view. But there is a big picture view of this book. It was read all at one time. For example, we are chosen in chapter 1 to be holy and blameless before Him. Therefore, in the last half of the book, you should walk in holiness. You're chosen to be holy and blameless, so be holy. Walk in holiness. We are adopted as sons. We are therefore beloved children of God, as chapter 1 states. Therefore, chapter 5, imitate our Father as beloved children. Doctrine leads to life change, life action. We are redeemed from slavery of sin. Therefore, walk in love. That is, don't be selfish anymore. Be sacrificial. We are revealed the wisdom of God and the mysteries of Christ, chapter 1 through chapter 3. Therefore, walk in wisdom. Doctrine leads to life. 
Christian living. We are united in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, walk in unity. Again, all of these are truths. We know that we have access to the all-powerful Jesus who is reigning at the right hand of God. And that Paul prayed that they would be strengthened and that they would understand this power towards them, to them in Christ who is reigning at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, he says in our passage, be strengthened in the Lord. It's available because of what Christ has done. Here's a good task for you to do this week. Attempt to apply a specific Bible doctrine to a circumstance you have. Here's what we often do. We think, okay, well, he tells me not to do that. Don't do that. Do do this. And so we are good at applying that, right? Especially our children. If they do something wrong, the Bible says you're not supposed to do that. Right? But how about this? Apply the biblical doctrine to the circumstance. Give the why. How many of you as uh, kids, I know I did this, and I know our children do this. When your parents tell you to do something, they say, why? Is that a bad question for them to ask? Why? Well, some would say, we would. So I know I've said, because your daddy said so. Right? Because I'm your father and you do what I say. Well, what did I just do? I gave the why. I actually gave the why. The authority is me. You're supposed to do what I say. And God has established that I'm your father, so do it. There's a reason behind what we do. And that's why he, Ephesians is laid out perfectly this way. So don't just be a do's and don'ts person. Give the why. And tell your mind and inform your mind why you should do what you should do. It'll help to give you the proper motivation. You won't be like the Pharisee that, is real good at doing things so people give you approval. Instead, you'll be doing it to please your Father who is in heaven. About a month ago, we left off in Ephesians 6, so let's finish our spiritual battle examination. This included the doctrine of spiritual warfare. It was tied to a call to respond appropriately to these evil days. We started with the specific uh, battle command to be strengthened in the Lord, be empowered by the Lord. We are in Christ, so the all-powerful Lord is ready to strengthen us. Take your Bibles and look over at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Again, doctrine applied. Be strengthened in the Lord. That's the application. Be empowered by God. That's the application. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 19, halfway through it. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. There's the doctrine. The doctrine is this. That Christ is the all-powerful one that's sitting at at the right hand of the Father. And all things under his feet. All dominion. All powers. Right? Therefore, be strengthened by that power that's available in Christ. Doctrine applied. Second, we saw the way we obey the battle is by putting on the full armor of God. By putting on the full armor of God. Notice back there that Paul is using the armor imagery to help develop his previous concepts in Ephesians 4. Look there, 420. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20. Again, he's already into the, the, the application section, but he brings up some doctrine here too to help develop this Christian walk. Look at verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way 
If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth as it is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self or put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, putting off falsehood, laying aside, putting off falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Oh, beloved, do you see what he's done here? He introduced this idea of put off and put on. Put off the old self and put on the new self. And in fact, he speaks of this as a past tense thing that you've already done it at one point. When you were converted, you put off the old man and you put on the new man. But this is an ongoing thing. Because in verse 27, he says, therefore put off falsehood. Now, he waits all the way till Ephesians chapter 6 to tell you what you need to put on. He told you what to put off, and now he's telling you what you have to put on. What do you have to put on? The full armor of God. It's the same words that he's bringing up here. And this is what we put on initially when we, at conversion, and we put it on daily. We put this armor on all the time. So it's a beautiful explanation of both the initial change that then calls us to a renewed commitment daily to put off the old man and put on the new man. Lay aside falsehood and put on the armor of God. So then last time we saw the reason we must obey is the reason we must obey because of the depth of wickedness we face. And again, we saw that ultimately the battle is not with our spouses. How many of you find yourself thinking, man, she sure does, she seems like the enemy right now. She's going after me. I've got to defend myself. Any men in here think, oh, I've got to defend myself. You ever thought that? Well, we got a hand raised. Good. Notice his wife's not here. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Yeah, or uh, or a lady. We think we've got to defend ourselves from our spouse, but they're we're not enemies. Our spouse is not our enemy, beloved. There is a bigger battle at stake. Do you understand? There's something underlying everything. And it's the wickedness that we oppose. It's not our children either. It's not our parents. It's not our bosses. It's not even the physical wars between nations or conflicts between people groups. The battle we are in is a spiritual war. One that is being fought with the devil and his demons. Friends, we all need to be reminded of this truth regularly. We need to be told this over and over and reminded in our mind. This is why Jesus could say from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why? He knew the hour that he was facing was an hour of darkness. He understood that he was opposing Satan and his minions. But Jesus kept entrusting himself to the Father. Friends, do you understand that when we understand where the battle really is, we're prepared to respond appropriately. If we see the evil behind those offending us, we're prepared to respond like Christ responded. Instead of looking at your spouse as your enemy, you see your spouse as just another person like you that needs the Lord. And you're more patient and kind and gentle and loving, right? So we must put on the full armor of God because there is a battle. And it's a battle waging that we don't even see physically. It's a spiritual war. 
Finally, we saw last time the purpose of obeying the battle command is so that we may resist the evil day. The purpose for taking up the full armor of God and being strengthened by the Lord is to resist the evil of our day, to stand firm against the devil. Again, what we often do when, we, when conflicts arise, we respond without remembering where the battle is, and thus we become a part of the evil itself. Did you hear me? This is so crucial. If you don't have this mindset, what happens is if somebody offends you, and then what do you do? You participate in the very evil of the day. Don't let your evil, the evil, become who you are. Know where the battle is and then resist it. Now, resistance doesn't mean pulling out your Bible and smacking them. Often, resistance means humbling yourself and praying, as we will see. Seeking the Lord waiting on him and trusting the Lord to work. I find it very interesting. He doesn't say put on the full armor of God and one of the armor pieces is, is be a great Bible thumper. Smack people with the Bible. Now that would be a direct application. Some might say uh, the sword of the spirit. Well, be careful how you apply things. So Paul states, now that you know where the battle is and what you have to do in order to have victory, just do it. Stand. Once you understand it, stand with the full armor of God on. This command to stand firm with the armor of God was the second main command of our passage. Now I want to continue our look at what we should put on. What is this armor? And he says, stand firm with the armor of God. There are six pieces of armor that the believer must put on in order to guarantee victory in the battle. We briefly covered some of the armor pieces last time, but we'll review and further explain them today. These pieces of the armor are the key elements for a Christian life and how we should live. These are components of our Christian life that we must all appropriate daily in order to have victory. This isn't a once-in-a-while thing. You don't put the armor on once every two or three months. This is all the time. This is who we are. We constantly appropriate the armor of God. Again, as we said last time, we are strengthened by God when we put on the full armor of God, and we need to know each piece and then put it on every day all the time. So let's reread. Look. At verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The way to victory is through appropriating God's armor. Beloved, there are six pieces that we must put on in order to guarantee victory. Notice, remember, this is ultimately not about body parts in particular. This is metaphorical language, word pictures used by Paul to help us to understand and to illustrate his point. So we must put on what was introduced in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 25. Put on the new man. What is the new man? Righteousness. Truth. That's who we are in Christ. So we must put this on daily. So he starts with put on truth. Having gird yourself with truth. We're required to put on truth. Now, we must put on truth. Some of us, that, that sounds very ambiguous. Does that mean put on the Bible? Uh, am I supposed to put on Scripture? Well, wear it, you know, like the uh, strapped to our heads like the Jews did. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trustworthiness or sincerity. Men and women of integrity. We're supposed to put on integrity. Be dependable. When we say something or say we're going to do something, we do it. That's putting on the full armor of God. 
A person who puts on truth is dependable. People can count on you. You're reliable and you're trustworthy. So how do we become trustworthy people? Well, we meditate and imitate those who are trustworthy. We meditate on people that are trustworthy. And we then imitate people that are trustworthy. Who are they? Well, we have the number one man that ever lived that's trustworthy, Jesus Christ. The more we meditate on Christ, and we, the more we know Christ, the more we will be like our Savior. Also, Paul, whenever he says this, he applies it to himself. He says, look, whatever's true, and then he says, the things you saw me do. Turn over there to Philippians 4. I love this passage. I wish we could, everybody should memorize this passage. Excellent. 4, 8, and 9. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Excellent. Same word true here is used. And the same word righteousness is used. Notice in Philippians 4.8, Paul states, Finally, brethren, whatever is true. There is the same word. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is right. Or righteous you could translate. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned, how did they learn it? They learned it as he taught about who? Jesus. And received, they embraced the truth of who Jesus is, and heard and seen in me. So he, Paul, followed Christ knowing truth. Righteousness of good report, of repute, he then does it. And he says, follow me. He says, dwell on these things. Consider, contemplate, meditate on what is right and what is true. Uh, friends, here's a great question for you. What do you think on? <laughs> what are you meditating on? Those are the things that you will do. That's who you will be. I, I tried it this week with fishing. I thought a lot about fishing. I was a fisherman. Didn't catch a lot. But I thought a lot about it. How do I do it better? I need to do that with fishing for men too, right? I need to do that with how to live for Christ. Meditating on who Christ is. Contemplating who he is. And then notice in verse 9 where we can see these attributes in action. The Apostle Paul taught it, they received it, they heard it, and they saw it in him. Notice then he commands them. He tells them what? Practice these things. What you think on, now practice these things. He's saying the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. He's saying put on the full armor of God. Put on truth, trustworthiness. How do you get it? You study. You learn. You fellowship with others that are trustworthy and sincere. Study the life of Christ. Secondarily, examine his followers. This is the place where fellowship is important. And I think it's so important for us as a church. We need to be around each other as much as possible. I know we've got to be around each other, talking the scriptures with each other. And as we talk the scriptures with each other, we see each other living this out. And we go, ooh, I need to do that. <laughs> need to be like that. Who you hang out with is what you will become. You understand? What you put in your mind, what you think on, and who you hang out with is what you will become. If the, think about what the world is doing. We work all the time. Many of you work 40, 50, 60 hours in the workplace with people that hate God. That's what you put in your mind all the time. Now, I'm not telling you quit your jobs. No. Not what I'm saying. But what I am telling you is, is that's what's feeding your minds. It's the fellowship you're having. If you're not counteracting that with putting the right things in your mind, what is true, what is righteous, you're going to be just like the ones that you hang out with. Secondarily, we just have to make sure 
that our priority is on studying the scriptures more. We're going to see that as we go along because that's where we see what is truth at its finest. We see this idea in the next armor piece also. Put on righteousness. Righteousness is the breastplate. It must be put on. Righteousness is all that God does. So Paul is saying put on what God does. Put on what God does. This is a direct call to righteous living. Again, what we meditate on and internalize is what we become. If we are continuously thinking on Christ and His righteousness and His life, then we'll live righteously. I mean, in, this, in this evil day, we are a stark contrast to the world. Why? Because we look like Christ. Because we study Him and we meditate on Him and we imitate Him. I believe this is a call to seek God's righteousness. Because as we do... We will be who God wants us to be. Again, putting on God's righteousness is possible because God is all about revealing His righteousness in us. You understand? Remember Ephesians chapter 2. I just thought of this. Look, for by grace, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, saved, delivered, and that you, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For... Because we are His, God's work of art, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you understand that God has righteousness for us to display? So we're supposed to put it on. Appropriate it. We're supposed to do it. He's prepared this from before the world existed. Third, there's the put on readiness. Having put on, you put, put on yourself preparation or readiness. We're all required to put on readiness. We must be prepared. ESV gets it perfect. Like I said, this is good. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness comes from the gospel of peace. How many of you want to feel... Uh, have you ever walked in into a class and felt very unprepared for a test. I don't know about you, but that was pretty regular for me until after I became a believer. Just went back to college. Walk in feeling, you, you remember the, just the wave of, oh no, this is going to be bad. I'm not prepared. I studied for about an hour before and that's it. That's, isn't that a very disconcerting feeling? Now, if we talked, and remember last time I developed a lot about how bad the battle is and how evil the evil one is. If we understand how horrible the battle is and we face that unprepared, what are we going to do? Fail. Miserably. Something's going to happen. How do we get prepared? I believe it's very simple. More understanding of the gospel. As we understand the gospel of peace, that is what prepares us, readies us for what the battle lies ahead. Now, where do we, where does our, like it says, where does our readiness come from? Knowing and applying the gospel of peace to our minds and our hearts. Understanding, receiving, delighting in the gospel of peace is the main way we're prepared for any and every battle. So I, I got a little challenge for you. I've mentioned this before, the Gospel Primer by Milton Terry. Many of you know it, have it, or read it. I'll say it again, the Gospel Primer by Milton Terry. You might want to write that down. I'd like to take the next month, and I'd like for our whole church to read it. Let's read it together. It's a great reflection on the Gospel. Let's take one month. And read this little book. I think we have a bunch of them in a box somewhere around here. If you, didn't, if you don't have one. Or you can get it on Kindle. It's like really, really cheap. But it's excellent. It's a rehearsing of the gospel. This is what we need as a church. We need to be gospel focused and gospel prepared. So let's take this next month and do that before the institute starts. And I have you reading other things. We can never... 
be a church that knows the gospel of peace too much. Yes, do you understand, folks? We need to know the gospel more, don't we? We need to meditate on it more, don't we? Let's do that, folks. The more we know the gospel, the better prepared we are for the battle. I had the privilege of doing two weddings while on my vacation. It was, uh, it was awesome. I enjoyed it, actually. It kept me fresh and able to get up and share the gospel. Uh, one of the couples is here today. Praise the Lord. Uh, one of the things that's happened in, in, in the weddings now is I now almost every time do the gospel up front. I just love it. It's oh, it's so refreshing. I did a, uh, a wedding at Lakeside last week. And every place I go, you just stand up and it's like, I just get to present the gospel at the beginning. And it's like silence in the room everywhere. And the reason why is because it's like so totally unexpected. Everybody's expecting, you know, a woman to walk down the aisle, she's to be beautiful, and everything's going to be about that. You know, and there's lots of chatter before the services normally. Oh, this is going to be great. I knew them when they were doing this. And, you know, I, I, oh, I knew when they first got uh, engaged. And I was there, you know, everybody's talking. And as soon as you begin to present the gospel, silence happens. It's beautiful. And you get this idea that everybody in the room sees that there's something different about a true Christian wedding. It's really all about Christ. It's not about the couple. It's the way it should be in our marriages too, huh? I think the problem with all of us is is that we make it all about the marriage instead of all about Christ. I think we're not as prepared as we need to be. I don't think we're meditating on the gospel as much as we should. For if we were meditating on the gospel as much as we should, I'm sure that we will respond to our spouses differently. I'm sure of it. I know our kids would. They would respond to their parents if Jesus was their first love. I think we need to prioritize knowing the gospel more, don't you? If everyone in here meditated on the gospel once a day, just once a day, I think there was, our, our lives would be totally transformed. We need to be more focused on Christ and what he's done for us and that we have peace with God. As we understand these truths, everything here becomes kind of not important, relatively speaking, correct? Oh, folks, do this. How well are you prepared for the attack of the enemy? It's how well you know the gospel. Knowing the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God in Christ is how we are prepared for the battle. And that's exactly what Paul had said at the end of chapter 3. I want you to know the love of Christ. He prayed that they would know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God in Christ. And as they know that gospel more, then they're what? Doctrine applied. Ready, prepared. How prepared are you? Let's look at the next one. Next armor piece. Put on faith. Taking up the shield of faith, which is, or taking up the shield, which is faith. Faith is the perfect shield against the evil one's fiery darts. When we trust in God and his plan for us, we're able to stand against all attacks from the enemy. Faith is synonymous in the Bible with trust. It's a reliance upon God. Faith recognizes God's sovereign hand in our life. It is an awareness, a commitment, a reliance upon God. The shield was often a large, so large that a person could literally duck behind it and protect their entire body. This is a perfect word picture for faith. It protects us completely. 
Trust in God is what protects you. An awareness and a reliance upon God who is our Lord and is in control of everything is a huge defense for us. When we're not trusting in God, the enemy will attempt to, or will tempt us and deceive us and we'll, we will fail to please our Lord. Look over at Hebrews 11. I love this verse. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. The Bible is so consistent. It says the same thing all the way through it. It's always continually repeating itself. Y'all, sometimes I know I was, I was watching me. Man, I know some of this is going to be a broken record for people, but you know what? You need to hear it again. <laughs> the Bible says it over and over again. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to what? Please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How many of you want to please God in all circumstances? Faith. Trust in him. Knowing that he is. And he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When are we most tempted to not trust in God? What are, they to, what are those moments? Well, I would argue that it's the moments that our hearts are focused on ourselves. When we're self-focused and we're relying upon ourselves, that's when we fail. Is that not true? So faith is what? Relying upon God, trusting in Him. You're ready. No matter what happens, no matter what a boss says to you, what a spouse says to you, what a child says to you, as you're trusting God, your eyes are on him, you're not thinking, oh no, I've got to fix this. It's, oh boy, this is another opportunity for God to show off his glory. What circumstances do you put the shield of faith down? Has anybody put it down? Everybody in here, right? How often do we trust in ourselves? These are the moments that we need to preach the doctrine of the sovereignty of God to our hearts. All too often. I think our biggest problem, I, we are, even the most Calvinistic of churches can still fail to trust God. Yet, we need a big view of God's sovereignty, don't we? We need to understand that every word out of our spouse's mouth are under the sovereign hand of God. That no one speaks a word without God ordaining it. Did you hear that? That's hard to hear. Some of you, what? Yes. Every word out of your spouse's mouth is ordained by God. Every word out of your child's mouth is ordained by God. We need to trust the Lord. And when we respond appropriately, it's because we have the shield of faith on. Next, the, two, the next two pieces of the armor are actually part of a third main command. But I kept them together under the armor section for clarity. But you could title this next command, Grab Your Final Armor Pieces. <laughs> Here's the final armor pieces. You've got to have these. Grab your helmet. And your sword. And let's go. Here we go. Put on salvation. The helmet is salvation. Salvation is deliverance from wickedness. A conscious awareness of our victory in Christ. And that we will one day win. And eventually Satan loses. <laughs> Praise God, right? Salvation. We are justified, declared right with God, being sanctified, being made right with God, and will be glorified. We are delivered from judgment that we deserve, putting this on, thinking who we are, understanding that we are these people in Christ. This is what we have to do. We are being delivered from the power of sin. And folks, one day we're going to be totally delivered from the enemy, completely. I can't wait till that day. How about you? All too often I put down that shield of faith when I should have 
trusted God and looked to that final deliverance that's coming. That's this why, why, by the way, I'm going to do Theo 3 with the Institute and go over doctrine of end times. We're going to do it. I think it's important. Understanding the final deliverance, and I think this is his context in Ephesians chapter 6. The idea is, is that a final deliverance is coming. And we need to keep our eyes on that final deliverance that's coming. And put it on as a hope, in a sense. This is probably referring to Isaiah 59. And I believe that this is talking about deliverance from enemies. Now, is, is Paul here saying that you will be delivered from your enemies in the same way that in the Old Testament, Israel was often delivered from the enemies? No, I don't think so. If so, he wouldn't have said it because... Just a little bit later, he's going to die. And God's inspiring him to write this. He's going to die at the hands of his enemies. I think it's a deliverance to glory. It's a final deliverance, a final salvation. Putting an eschatological thinking cap on. In other words, thinking of the end times. Putting these things on and thinking future more. Future deliverance. You understand that deliverance originates in God. And again, Paul points to this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, I, I don't think he's necessarily saying always that he's going to be freed from prison. He's an ambassador in chains in this spot. In Philippians, he's in prison too. I don't think it's a deliverance necessarily from physical things. I think it's a final deliverance in glory. And folks, I think this is so very important. I don't think any of us are, think this way enough. I think we're many of us are goal-oriented people. Anybody in here goal-oriented? And you have all these things you want to accomplish in your lifetime here, right? And you set them out and you have them all there. But you're, we're, we fail to realize that there's a, a final goal that we need to be thinking of. The bigger picture, and that is the end deliverance. Do you understand when your kid comes up to you and talks disrespectfully, and you think, ah, I am the father, you should be respecting me. If on your mind, in your, and you put the helmet of salvation on, you're thinking deliverance. You're thinking final glory. You're thinking a final deliverance. You're thinking, you know what? I'm not going to allow my pride to intervene in this opportunity to give the gospel to my child. Because final deliverance is all that really matters. My kids don't have to every single time talk to me the way that they're supposed to. Do you hear me? If my kid sins, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, man, I see myself in you. I'm going to say that in my heart and I say, thank God for a final deliverance. Oh, I got to share the gospel with you. And my mind's going to be totally different. I'm thinking final deliverance. I'm not thinking deliverance now. You're going to respect me now all the time. Exactly how I say it. I'm preaching to myself. You understand that. We must have final deliverance in our minds. Glory to come. That's what matters. Do we, pro- do we trust in the promises of deliverance from the enemies? Yeah. What areas do you fear in your life the most? What are those areas? Do you trust your, in God for your eternal deliverance? The idea is appropriate the divine promises of God that you are declared right, you will be sanctified, and you are going to be glorified. And that's really all that matters, right? So we are to put on truth and righteousness, preparation, faith, and then grab that final promise of deliverance and take up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. The sword, which is the word of God, the Holy Spirit's weapon. It is speaking of the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of God comes from God. Psalm 119, 11 states, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. 
Psalm 119.42 So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. When God speaks, we must listen, correct? And he has spoken. You understand, that's what this is. He's spoken to us. And this is what we need in the battle. We must trust in God's word and we must embrace God's word. God's word is the only offensive weapon in the armor. It is the only thing we have that is authoritative. It is the only thing that converts souls. It is the only thing that can destroy the enemy. It is our apologetic. Do you understand that? When somebody says, man, I can give you 50 reasons why Jesus exists, and they say, without the Bible, I say, you're a fool. This is our defense. It's our apologetic. It is the sword. Can you imagine going to a debate and say, I'm not going to use a a debate over the existence of God and not use the Bible? That's like put down the sword and go in and get slayed. It happens all the time. Beloved, this is the weapon of choice for God, not you. Do you understand? Not your wisdom. His wisdom. He's given it to us. Take up the word of God. You must know it to take it up, right? Are you studying it? So please, beloved, take up the word of God. Just a little plug here for the Institute. This is why we have established the Grace Bible Institute. It's our goal to equip all of you. By the way, we've added ladies for the classes and ladies bible study is an elective now and the ladies can get a a thing i can't wait next week we're going to present the uh, brochure on the institute it's really exciting good stuff brenda's going to help with the ladies and you're going to have to turn in homework though and she's going to grade it a little bit Uh, she's like oh great more work for me (laughs) pastor michael hell it's bittersweet that Clearwater Christian has closed, but I've kind of made it my personal goal that I'm giving you all of me now. Uh, I am not going to have any classes other than institute classes and teaching you. Um, I think that was a, a good, for, good for a season for me to teach there, but now it's me and you, folks. And I want to teach you and equip you by the word of God. Uh, looking forward to our systematic theology time on Sunday afternoons. We're going to bump it back, I think, 15, 30 minutes so that it starts a little earlier. And we're going to go through, through ecclesiology and eschatology uh, starting September 13th. And we're going to have a good time with that. The institute classes won't always be on Saturday. Most of the time they won't be. The Sunday school class will be uh, also institute classes so if you come to Sunday school class you can turn in work if you want to get institute credit Uh, fundamentals of faith all these things so I'm really looking forward to it we'll explain it more next time but all of the purpose of this is to teach you the word of God more we want you to know the Bible more and then we want you to share it with people okay so the word of God is our only weapon this is what the soldier for Christ uses to defend himself So now we turn to the final armor piece. However, it's actually not an armor piece. Instead, it's a position for the soldier to assume. Again, the metaphor ends, but the battle is still in view. Being strengthened by the Lord requires the right position for the soldier. We must adopt the position of prayer. We must take our place on our knees. We must bow to our all-powerful Lord. This is the only way for victory. And folks, if you look at your Bibles, it's very clear. Some in, in the, in the uh, NASB, it breaks in verse 18, but it shouldn't be a break. It's actually connected to the previous section. But the prayer section is actually an attachment to the full armor of God. It actually continues on and tells you the position you take in the battle. And that position is on your knees Pursuing the Lord. Let's read that real quickly. Verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit 
with this in view, be on the alert. Again, battle, battle language there. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice there's a couple of features here of the position of petition. How we are to pray and seek the Lord. First, we pray. There's prayer of all kinds. There's prayer and petition. And Paul has already talked about in in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And then he brings it back up in chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. Or rather, uh, after verse 19, this whole praise concept of prayer. Paul started his epistle with prayer. And he ends his epistle calling on prayer. Prayer is an important aspect of our walk with God. Paul recorded prayer for the believers in 115 to 19, and then in 314 to 19, he prays for them and tells, this is what your prayer should look like in a sense. In 115 to 19, you can look that up later, and then 314 to 19. But now Paul exhorts the believers to pray. Do what I just did for you. Pray. Seek the Lord. Pursue Him. And then second, he says, prayer is often, notice the word all is many, used many times in this paragraph. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So this isn't just an, a kind of sometimes thing. This is all the time. We should always be in pursuing the Lord for each other. And for ourselves. And then there's prayer in the spirit. The location is in the realm of the spirit. Now again this fits so perfectly with. Be filled with the spirit. Now pray in the spirit. Be controlled by the spirit. Now pray in the realm of the spirit's work. Now how do we know. That's a great question. How do we know if we're praying in the spirit. How do we know. Answer. Is it word based. Does it look like the word of God? Do your prayers look like the scriptures? That's how you know. Because what is the sword of the spirit? The word of God. How do you know if you're praying in the spirit? If your your prayers look like what scripture reveals. That's why we should all be reading the Psalms regularly. They're prayers. And it's scripture just laid out there for us. I don't know about you guys, but when I read Paul's prayers in Ephesians, they're very convicting. You know why they're convicting? Because they're deep. And mine are often shallow. Anybody in here like that? A list of do's and don'ts? Please help me. Please give me this. Help me now, Lord. How about some depth to it? Lord, show me the love of God. Help the people to understand the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of God in Christ. Are we praying like that for each other? Oh, folks, this is the final armor piece that we have to put on. We must pursue the Lord. We know it's from the Spirit if it's about praising God. If it's gratitude towards God, thankfulness. You want to do a good test, do this. Write out your prayers for a couple months and then go back and evaluate how much you ask for and how much you say thank thank you for. I'm almost positive we'd all have a way out of counterbalance where we're constantly saying give me and every once in a while saying thank you. Is that not us? But a prayer life that is praising God and thanking Him, you're ready for the battle. And you say, Lord, help me to appropriate the armor of God and put it on and live for you now. Fourth, the prayer is persistent. Be on the alert with all perseverance. This also highlights that battle language I said. Be on the alert. We must understand that we always are in need of God. 
I love that psalm. I need thee every hour, right? Oh, we need him, don't we? Let's pray. Fifth, pray. Prayer is for all the saints. I'm giving you three sermons in one today. Are y'all enjoying it? I've been a month away from the pulpit. I just can't stop. It's great. Prayers for all the saints. Our prayer life should attempt to be all-inclusive. We all need the Lord, and we should be praying for everyone, all the saints. We need His strength. We need His wisdom. I kind of selfishly here, I get to ask, will you pray for your pastors? Will you pray for me? I need the Lord. I need Him all the time. I need His strength. Yeah, I got a vacation. <laughs> I need His strength. I need Him all the time. Pray for my family. Please. Okay? And then pray for your brothers and sisters. We need to be praying for each other. And then six, prayer has a main goal. The advancement of the gospel. You see this in Paul. He says it. He lines it out. Look at 19 and 20. And pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray, Paul says, that the gospel will go out from me with boldness. It's all about the gospel. Now pray that it goes out. Oh, I want that from our church, don't you? I want to be a church that's proclaiming the gospel. I want to be people that are living it. We're ambassadors for Christ and we're proclaiming it everywhere, don't you? We've got to pray for each other. Paul considers Christ his king and that he's an ambassador and that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, that Christ is the king and that he's going to return one day. We need to be a praying church in order to be a gospel-proclaiming church. I think all too often we get those things backwards. We think, oh, well, if I learn a, a five methods for proclaiming the gospel, we got it down. No, we need to be a petitioning church. If we are calling out to God, he will give us the boldness and the courage to proclaim it when we need to. Please, folks, let's be a praying church and praying families. That's what we need, right? So in conclusion, we see the primary position for battle for the soldier of Christ is on our knees. In the prayer position. We must make our way to the word. And allow it to inform our prayers for one another. And then seek the king for strength to go out and be his ambassadors for King Jesus. Oh folks, let's put on the full armor of God. And let's pray for one another. Okay? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come now longing for your strength, longing for you to help us to apply the scriptures to our lives. Father, we know that we are weak, prone to sin, prone to wander, as the hymn writer said, prone to put down the shield of faith and try to win battles on our own. Oh, Father, we're, we need you. We need you so much. Holy Spirit, we ask that you empower us and strengthen us and give us the wisdom of the Father. Help us to meditate on Scripture when we're straying and not disciplined children. We pray that you will spank us and bring about the disciplining hand of the Father in order to cause us to long for you and to lean on you more. We need you, Father. Grace Bible Church needs you now. We want to be a gospel-proclaiming church. We want to be your herald, King Jesus. We pray for USF campus coming up this fall. We pray that you will help us, Lord, to be evangelistic to the students. 
We also pray for Ebor and some of the other ministries that some of the guys go out to. We pray for the Cowboys for Christ group that goes out and shares the gospel there. Oh, Lord, please work in these groups, these people that go out and share the gospel and help them to proclaim it accurately, passionately, boldly. And that your spirit will work upon our church. Help us, Lord, to follow through in our own pursuit of the gospel in our families. Help us to be parents that are gospel-centered in our parenting. Help us to be spouses that love our, our spouses with the gospel. That we share the gospel with one another. Oh God, you, you see our hearts cry now. You see our need and you have promised provision. You've promised us your word and you've promised us this armor. So Lord, now help us to put it on and to walk with you boldly, courageously to proclaim the gospel to the world we live in. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please stand.